Today for All Saints, our our second reading comes to us from the book of Revelation, uh, the seventh chapter, beginning with the ninth verse. I invite you to listen now for God's word. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you're the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Well, you know, now that it's, we're well into the season of fall, that means for, for me, and I, I know for a number of you, that we're into the, the season of re-watching Harry Potter movies. It's a good fall. It's a good fall series to work through, isn't it? Uh, and that means uh, for me is encountering yet again one of my favorite characters in this series, Hagrid, the tall, lovable, bearded, burly man who was the the uh, groundskeeper and gamekeeper and keeper of keys at the Hogwarts school. The job that he had that most interested me, though, is being the gamekeeper which meant he was responsible for all the magical creatures at the Hogwarts school. This usually meant uh, wrangling and and taking care of these big, scary creatures that frightened the children. Yet every time that these children uh, and the students encountered one of these beasts that, that seemed terrifying at first, Hagrid found a way to show them, yes, they're scary and a little dangerous, but... These are also majestic creatures that are deeply misunderstood. I have to admit to you, friends, every time I preach from the book of Revelation, I feel a bit like Hagrid, trying to explain this deeply misunderstood text to the church. And that's uh, in in, uh, large part thanks to uh, the fictional series Left Behind, along with um, extreme Christian groups who have taken ideas from the book of Revelation to extreme ends well beyond the biblical narrative itself. Now, the book of Revelation indeed has some interesting and frightening creatures in it. Beasts with multiple heads, a dragon, uh, all sorts of things. But deep at its heart, it's a book of hope and encouragement. 
A way to remember this is by talking about the name of the book itself. And uh, I, I have Brian Blunt, the, the scholar and, and former president of Union Seminary, to thank for this. The title of the book is Revelation, not Revelations. Anytime someone talks to you about the book of Revelations, you can guess they may not be on the right track if they don't even have the title of the book right. There are many visions in John's revelation, some scary, some a little out there, but there's only one revelation. That one revelation, Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, and that he will have the last word. Friends, that word is love. John writes in a time of exile. He's exiled to the island of Patmos um, by the Roman Empire, and he's writing to the seven main churches in Asia Minor at the time. And he's writing them a, a message of hope and encouragement to keep on living the Christian life, to remain faithful no matter what it means, no matter if it means persecution or worse by the Roman Empire. That is what this book is deeply about. Our text today is one of the most beautiful images in the whole thing, in my opinion. It, it occurs between the, un, un, uh, the revealing of the sixth, or between the revealing of the sixth and the seventh seal in the book. And that is when we get this vision of the great multitude. John says, I looked, and then there was this great multitude, too many for anyone to count. And this multitude contained people from every place, every nation, every culture, speaking every language. And they were all together in God's kingdom, worshiping day and night. Then one of the elders comes up to John and asks a great question. Hey, who are these folks? Who are these people in the great multitude? And I love John's answer when he says, hey, buddy, you're the one who should know this. Uh, and so the elder tells John, these are those who went through the great ordeal, or rather they have lived a faithful life and now they rest eternally with God, where they will hunger and thirst no more. God will be with them, will be their light, will be their everything. And God will even wipe every tear from their eyes. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, just life everlasting with God and with one another. Beautiful, powerful image, right, friends? Now, I love this question, as I said, the who are these or who are they in this great multitude? I think it's a worthy one for us to wrestle with as well. So who are these folks? Well, today in the life of the church, we are celebrating or uh, um, remembering all saints. So we're lifting up the names of those who have died in the last year. So, of course, those folks, the names that will say in candles will light as a way of celebrating and thanking God for their life and faith and witness, these, these saints are, are part of that great multitude. It's the folks we know, the folks who have, who have shaped and formed who we are, who have taught us how much God loves us in Christ. These folks we trust and know are part of this great multitude. So it's the folks we know, but it's not only the folks we know, right? This great multitude that contains so many people that no one could even try to count also um, means that there are folks in this group that we don't know. 
John says people from every nation, speaking every language, every culture, every worldview are all together in this place, worshiping God day and night. It's a great reminder of, of all the saints who, who have impacted our church and world that we never even knew. But, friends, in this time of warfare and, and violence and division, it's, it's also a reminder that there are those that are part of this great multitude who have different views than ourselves. Kind of helps put all of our differences in perspective. So who are these? They're, they're both folks we know and don't know. But it's also not just those who are already gone. I'm so glad that we had baptisms today on All Saints Day because it was such a beautiful reminder that uh, All Saints Day is not just about looking to the past, but also looking to the present and to the future. Because all of us are saints too. And we trust that one day each of us will join that great multitude. Well, they'll hunger and thirst no more, where God will wipe the tears away from our eyes. All of our differences, all of our divisions, all of that will cease. And we'll be together in God's kingdom, worshiping day and night. Friends, the best glimpse of that multitude, of that great banquet that we have together, the best glimpse of that we have is whenever we gather at our Lord's table. See, here, every time we gather here, we say they'll gather from east and west, from north and south to sit together at table in God's kingdom. It's a reminder that one day all of us will be together, that God will feed us and welcome us forever. This past weekend, Marie and I had the, the joy of taking a little trip away together, and we went to Charleston, South Carolina. I've never been before, but soon after arriving, I learned it was called the Holy City. And that's because of all of the, the beautiful old churches that, that line its downtown, and if you find yourself at a high vantage point uh, looking out a window, you can see the steeples just poking out along the skyline. It's quite a sight. So Marie and I walked by a number of these churches, including the old Huguenot church that dates back to the 1600s where Marie's grandfather was one of the first pastors of this church. But something that, that caught my eye at a number of these churches but that, is that many of them had small graveyards as you walked in. These old weathered tombstones that date back to the 1600s, 1700s, and so on uh, contain the saints of these churches that help build and inform these communities that still exist today. And I couldn't help but thinking in light of all saints coming up, what a cool visual for those churches when they gather each Sunday to think about the saints who have formed them and formed the communities of which they are now a part. In a minute here, we'll be lighting our candles and lifting up the names of the saints who we've lost in the last year. I hope that's a witness to us, like the tombstones to these churches in South Carolina, of the saints who have formed them and their communities, that we might be shaped and formed and encouraged in our own life and faith and witness together, as we look ahead to the one day when all will be together, when all divisions, when all uh, warfare, when all violence ceases, and all are together in God's kingdom, worshiping day and night 
and there won't be a tear in our eyes. May it be so, friends. Amen.